Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanya. That's Creole for something extra. There is a computer scientist and statistician, an interdisciplinary scholar and writer, a cellular and molecular biologist, and an environmental ecologist who is investigating carbon dynamics in forests and urban areas. That's the work of Boston University professor Lucy Hutira, who is one of 20 MacArthur Genius Fellows named this year. The award is an acknowledgment of the fellows' demonstrated talent in their disciplines and their current and future stature as leaders in their fields. Professor Lucy Hutira joins me now, one of four local fellows, part of our series, The Genius Next Door. Welcome to Under the Radar, Professor. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure and honor. Well, congratulations. It's a great uh, occasion to have this conversation. I love talking to the fellows uh, who are named in the class. And we here in this area are lucky. Generally speaking, we get about two or three a year. So it's great. It's an it's quite the group to join. I uh, I never fathomed I would be part of this club. Oh, well, it's good club. Well, we're going to start off by uh, letting everybody understand how you came to the attention of the MacArthur Foundation, more specifically the nominators uh, who chose you and your work as someone that should be highlighted. So you work specifically on greenhouse gases in urban cities measuring greenhouse gas around Boston. And I want to say that you perhaps are one of the few people in the STEM sciences that I've interviewed over the years doing work where people can kind of grasp what you're doing already because they've heard something about it. But be very specific. Exactly what are you doing? So over the last uh, 15 years or so, um, we have been working on trying to understand greenhouse gases in cities. So we've been um, building models of fossil fuel emissions. So we've gone hour by hour and kilometer by kilometer and estimated how much combustion and local emissions is happening um, in Boston, in Massachusetts, and honestly across the entire country. At the same time that you have those emissions, there are sinks for carbon dioxide that also happen in the cities. And so we've been measuring a lot of urban trees. And um, and what we found with the trees is that they're much more productive than any textbook or model says that they should be. Um, our measurements have really focused in places like Boston, where there's a lot of water, but these trees are growing like crazy. And so if you put together the emissions and the growth, which is taking up some of those emissions, the other piece of the puzzle that we've been working on is measuring the gas in the air in the city. And with collaborators, we've been modeling how the air moves around. And we've been trying to tackle the question of, are we reaching our climate goals? Are the concentrations of the emissions in the city going down? 
And are they going down for the reasons that we think they are? And so we've focused on carbon dioxide and methane, and Boston has been the epicenter of where we've been looking. So because we're here, how are we doing toward reaching the goals that we've set both in the city and the state? We have a ways to go. Um, <laughs> Boston, Boston and Massachusetts have made a lot of progress. A lot of the progress that they've made so far has to do with greening the grid. Um, and the city of Boston, especially under um, Recovery Act funds, was able to to they had a lot of shovel ready projects that were able to improve the efficiency of people's houses and um, were making a lot of progress. But as we're measuring it in the atmosphere, it's it's slow. Um, we need to do more. And on on methane, there's a little bit of a disagreement between what we're seeing in the air, which is very little progress in uh, reduction, and what we think is happening based on bottom up accounting. So that's suggesting that maybe we don't we're not measuring the whole story and that there's more to that one than we understand. So I think there's a lot of open science around the methane problem, too. Now, you focus on we here and our, our space here. Are you able to make an assessment about how we fit on the spectrum of other states and cities? So I think um, looking at the policies that have been in place, the um, things things that are happening in the green space and, and in the emissions space, I think what's been happening in Boston and in Massachusetts is great. It's more than what's been happening in a lot of cities, but it's still not enough of a needle movement to where we really need to be going with uh, the emissions reduction. So I think Boston's doing a good job, doing a better job than many cities, but it's we need more. Now, are you impressed that, um, at least in your area, people have come to grasp the importance of the work that you're doing? I mean, they can kind of get it right away. And they're aware of just saying greenhouse gases is something that a lot of people have heard and understand, you know, what the issues are. Does that, is that helpful to you in your work or is that exciting as part of the part of the work that you're doing because people can definitely relate I think it's I think that there's an awareness and a consciousness of of the problem that has come from all of these conversations and discussions but I think there's also a bit of um public saturation mm. because we've been we've been talking about it we've been talking about it all these um, cities uh, corporations are setting these net zero goals, and yet the problem is not improving fast enough. Um, and that's not that we can't improve the problem. It's that we aren't doing enough, and we're not doing enough oversight on many of the um, many of the projects that are trying to mit mitigate it. You know, there's a lot of carbon offsets and carbon credits that we can all um, purchase to forgive our, our greenhouse gas sins. And there's been a lot of talk around that. But a lot of those credits have made a lot of people very rich, but maybe haven't had all of their intended impacts on actually um, impacting our greenhouse gas emissions. And I think we need to we need to revisit how we're doing this, and especially around carbon and greenhouse gas offset. And sometimes it feels a little phony, I'll just say. You don't have to. <laughs> um, 
So, Professor, uh, I am really interested to know what about this work makes you happy and fulfilled? You know, I started my career um, studying the collapse of the Amazon. (laughs) I was studying the cycling of carbon dioxide in the Amazon rainforest and trying to model, is there a tipping point when, when it may collapse? And that was daunting, important, but very daunting, depressing work. And I pivoted to a solution space. And that's what inspires me, where cities maybe aren't doing enough, but at least they're talking about it. And there's a real political and community will to try to improve the the situation, to try to improve our energy efficiency, to try to improve the livability and quality of environment in our cities. And that will and and that community chutzpah is what inspires me every day um, to try to be able to make a contribution towards that end, to figure out what might be some of the most implementable solutions and uh, and help those come to be. So fabulous that there are uh, more women like yourself in these um spaces in STEM particularly, but sadly, not enough. The numbers are still low. So I'm wondering what inspired you? Because we hear over and over again that so many women with talent or who could have had talent in this field get turned off early, sometimes in school or even sometimes before that by just the folks who are surrounding them saying that's not something you can do or a woman can do. What what were the, the, the key motivating moments for you, or if there was a moment that said, boy, I'm going to, this is the work I'm going to do, and I, I know I can do it? I was too stubborn to give up. <laughs> um, uh, my, I'm first generation to college. My parents were immigrants to the U.S., and um, I was raised with a, a motto of education is the key, and education was how I was going to be able to ensure that I could always take care of myself. And so my family pushed me hard um, to keep going and keep going in school. And I did, and I was stubborn and just kind of kept trying things. I was also incredibly lucky. I've had um, great mentors. I haven't had very many female mentors in my career, but I've had some amazing mentors who have supported me and guided me and helped me through some of the really hard moments. And, you know, my PhD advisor, uh, Steve Wafsi, he he actually has done more than anybody else to lift me up and make sure that my voice was heard and him lifting me got me to a place where people listened to to my ideas and gave me a chance. And I try to do the same for my students. Um, and it's a it, it's person by person that we can have these impacts. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm here with environmental ecologist Lucy Hutira, one of the four local MacArthur Genius Grant Fellows. She's part of our series, The Genius Next Door. Now, you have founded something called the Boston University Graduate Program in Urban Biogeoscience and Environmental Health. That's It uh, helps uh, PhD students, as you once were, uh, but in this case, they are tackling urban environmental challenges. Um, so explain what that's all about, and why did you just want to found this? What was the motivation for this? 
So there were three of us that actually founded this, a professor from biology, a professor from environmental health, and then myself from um, earth and environment. So I definitely, there were this was a team effort. Um, and the students, our PhD students are impatient. They want action and they don't just want to talk about it and spend six years writing papers that few people will maybe read, which is sometimes how it feels in the hard sciences. Um, they wanted to get out there and use their, their skills to do something. And so one of the big goals of the, of the urban program is to take science out of the ivory tower and partner with cities, with NGOs, even with private companies, and give the students an opportunity to take these incredible skills that they've been developing and apply them, not after their PhD, but in the early in their PhD, so that they it can shape what they do next. So they can understand how science is being used in whether it's industry or in policy making, how to effectively communicate that science, how to ask questions. And these experiences, these internship experiences have been transformative for many of the students. They've changed what the course of their dissertation looks like. They've changed what the course of their career looks like. In STEM, and especially at the PhD level, I think we have a, a lot of self-reflection to do on how we're training our students and what we're training them for. Um, we need STEM PhD scientists everywhere, um, not just in academia. And a lot of the academic training has really focused on kind of a narrow pathway for what students will do on the other side of a PhD. And what we're trying to do with Urban is broaden those opportunities through experiential learning throughout the entire PhD process. Well, as I understand it, you've uh, been looking into urban heat and uh, solutions for urban heat. Um, and local solutions for that. And I note that uh, Boston is involved in a pilot program to use heat-resistant paint on some streets and also increasing the tree canopy hugely, both on the statewide level and local level. So those are those are right now solutions that your your uh, PhD students can certainly observe and, and um, assess, uh, it seems to me. Yeah, and we've we've been working with the city on on various pieces of those projects, and um, and you know, urban trees, they have a a wealth of ecosystem services that they can offer, and one of the places where our students through these various programs have been working is trying to think about things like where do urban trees get their water. And is it coming from groundwater? Is it coming from rainwater? Is it coming from a hose? And that, you know, thinking about questions and the longer term sustainability of some of these solutions, where are we competing for water? What happens if our, if under drought conditions, are these trees going to be able to survive? Um, and thinking about where and how to plant those trees. On the albedo side, um, I actually wasn't aware that there was a new pilot project for cool roads. Um, and there's a lot to be learned in that space. Um, cool roofs are something that um, definitely 
works to cool the urban environment. Cool streets are something that um, we need to be thinking about, but it can there can be some trade-offs there that I think we have a lot to, to, to learn to make sure that those streets are making the city hotter while not making the pedestrian experience um, hotter as people, as that reflected energy hits people. Well, there's nothing easy with this, and so we're we're glad you're on the case. And so now I'm turning to the to the fun questions. Um, it's been my experience, and I'm thrilled by this that um, most MacArthur winners are absolutely floored that they've been selected because their heads are down and they are just in their work. They're not thinking about anything on external like this, and so it's a real, real surprise. So tell me where you were uh, when you learned that you were a fellow. So I was home with a house full of contractors. Um, our basement had flooded and they were ripping out our floors and there were jackhammers going and it was it was chaos because construction had just started to rebuild after the flood. And um, this Chicago phone number kept calling me and I didn't know anybody in Chicago and I didn't answer. And on the fourth try, I finally, I finally answered the phone, but I couldn't hear them. And I was yelling into the phone and they were <laughs> yelling back. And finally I got, I went outside and, um, and it was, a. Uh, they they asked if I had ever heard of uh, the MacArthur Fellows Program, and of course I had, and I was assuming they were calling for a reference on somebody else, and it didn't even dawn on me that it was about me. And then they asked some awkward questions. Uh, am I alone? Because there's a lot of secrecy around when they tell you and they don't want you in a room full of people where suddenly many people will know before the announcement. And um, am I safe? Uh, where if they tell me this big news, I'm not going to have a car accident in the middle of driving. And and just it was a little... It was it was a little creepy in the moment before I realized what was going on. Um, and then I was flabbergasted and hyperventilating a little bit with 20 people on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's I just love that. I think it's so wonderful. Now, um, eight hundred thousand dollars to do with as you please. What are you thinking about? You know, I've been asked that question a few times and I don't have I don't have a great answer because I wasn't expecting these these funds. Um, what I am going to do with it is I'm going to do some crazy and risky things and I'm going to do some pilot projects on things that I wouldn't be able to get either foundation or federal grants to be able to do. But what exactly? I'm not sure yet. <laughs> That's all right. I just always like to ask the question and, and and this is the moment that I like to remind folks, you know, you can just sit on a beach and stare if you want to. They don't really care. <laughs> I wish I was good at that. <laughs> well, you do have the opportunity to do whatever you want to that will free you up, um, which is the mission of the foundation, to just think bigger thoughts and deeper thoughts because you're not feeling so stressed. I think it's a fabulous opportunity for those of you who are already um, demonstrated, you know, great talent in your field. And about that, um, as you've said, you were a first-generation college student and you are the daughter of immigrants. You know, you were a role model a long time ago. You know, <laughs> once you got into college, you were a role model. But now, my goodness, this is much bigger. Um, so how does that make you feel? What What's that message you want to send to other young people looking at you as an example of great success? You know, I um 
I didn't realize I was breaking all those barriers at the time that I was breaking them. I was just doing my thing. And, and honestly, I didn't, I didn't know it was, I was supposed to be scared. I just kind of went along on my path. And I think it's really easy to get caught up in the, I don't belong. And, um, you know, the, the imposter syndrome can take over very easily, um, especially when you come from such a different background. And I think that the, the key is, is just kind of move past it. You do belong. You're there and you made it. And then you need to find allies and, and people that you can, that you can trust and that you can support. And I, I had that. I have been that for for my friends, for my colleagues, and for my students. And I'll always try to be that going forward. You know, in our PhD program here at BU, there's actually a tremendous number of women and first generation and URM students that are coming in. And I think a lot of the, the cohort and the community is changing. Um, they're in the programs. I think the real challenge is to keep them in STEM. Um, and slowly, I think things are improving um, culturally uh, with, with some of the challenges that, that we face. And yeah, I, I think my big responsibility is I've you know thought about this over the years and especially over the last month is I'm in a position where, you know, I'm a full professor and I've I've made it to a point of being established enough. And I have a responsibility to stand up when some of those cultural problems, challenges arise. And I don't have much to lose, but what I can help others gain by by being that confident voice is um, is a lot to change and improve the system. All right. So last question. Um, what would you have us do, uh, those of us who are out here living in and among these greenhouse gases, and we know that this a lot of this is a human cause, um, what is it that we can do? Because your PhD students are working for Right Now Solutions. Some of us who have long ago accepted uh, climate change is here, and, and it's scary if we don't do anything about it. You know, what's what's a right now thing that that we can be doing? You, this is the biggest bully pulpit you'll have for a while. So have at it. <laughs> well, I think um, the first thing that we can do is we can vote and we can we can have climate and environmental policies be something that's that's influencing who we elect into office and what those policies look like we can fight. We can voice the need for doing more, the need for actually measuring progress, not just being full of hot hot green air of look at how wonderful I am, but actually having an impact. And we can think about our we can think about our day-to-day choices personally and and our actions. You know, switching from a plastic straw can feel really symbolic and, you know, but uh, there's a million things that we can do like that if we actually think about what our day-to-day practices are. So I think we need to go from from small to giant. And in the process, we can and need to change the entire system. Well, what a pleasure to talk to you. Congratulations. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. 
Lucy Hutira is a professor at Boston University and one of 20 MacArthur Genius Fellows, four local this year. She is an environmental ecologist who studies the impacts of urbanization on environmental carbon cycle dynamics. That's it for this week's edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Listen to us online at GBH News or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter and Facebook to stay up to date with our programming. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Jesse Steinmetz. Ashley Sobroto is our intern. Our engineer is Dave Goodman. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. Listen again on Wednesday and see you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday for a new episode. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening.